The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scorers and threes drained. I love mixing it up by betting against the spread, taking the over on Giannis's points every chance I get, and more exclusive bets like the two by three, two threes scored in the first three minutes. Plus FanDuel even lets you combine bets like those for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash blue wire. That's fanduel.com slash blue wire to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Virginia. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to feel anxious. What's not okay is to ignore it, deny it, say I shouldn't feel that way, push it away, reject it, because rejecting your feelings is what drives you batty. What's up and welcome to the Very Best Self Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Brown. Tune in each week as I have candid conversations with inspiring humans, including athletes, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and anyone out there making waves. Get ready to leave your comfort zone behind, step into your power, and live a more purpose-driven life. I am so happy that you're here. Now let's do this. Welcome back to the Very Best Self Podcast. I am your host, Victoria Brown, and today I have Tara Schuster on the pod. You guys, she is the author of Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies and Glow in the Fucking Dark. Um, Great titles, right? Um, So Glow in the Fucking Dark comes out on February 28th, and we're going to talk about her newest book that is just about to come out, but we also kind of touch base with her old book as well, or her first book, I should say. Um, I just really, really love her. Uh, She has this just really genuine realness about her. And anyway, her books are about healing. They are about transforming your life and falling in love with the life that you have, the life that you're living and rituals that you can do, things that you can do to make you really, truly fall in love with your life and how we can go about our healing process and understanding patterns that are showing up in our lives and how to do things differently so that we can experience something different. Um, You can find her on Instagram at Tara Schuster, T-A-R-A-S-C-H-U-S-T-E-R. And definitely pick up her book when it comes out February 28th. Um, So I did a thing, by the way, before we get into the episode. Um, I, for the first time in all of the time that we've been recording this podcast, uh, forgot to plug my microphone in. It's plugged in right now uh, for the episode. So if the sound quality is a little bit off, I do apologize, but I promise you that this episode is worth every single minute of the listen. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed my conversation with her. So I hope that you take something from it today and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So here we go. 
Welcome back to the Very Best Self Podcast, you guys. Today, I have Tara Schuster on the podcast. Um, I'm super, super excited for this interview. Um, So you are the author of not one, but two books, the second of which is coming out February 28th, um, and will be kind of a lot of what we're chatting about today. But beyond that, you wear many hats. Um, You are a not only an author, but a playwright. Um, and also an accomplished entertainment executive, including vice president of talent and development at Comedy Central at one time, but you've now moved on to do your own thing. Tara, <laughs> so great to have you on today. Oh, thank you for having me, Victoria. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So you already have a book out called The Lilies. Um, it is called Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies. That's what it is. Oh, Yeah. That is what um, it's called. <laughs> yes, it was hugely successful. Um, and so now you have your second book coming out, Glow in the Fucking Dark. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. Great titles, by the way. Do you sense a theme? <laughs> yeah, I love it. We love we love a casual F-bomb, you know? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so I want to talk first about, I guess, the beginning or the first book. Um, yeah. And so I find, you know just to begin at the beginning is usually the best way to go about it. So buy yourself the fucking lilies. Um, can you tell us, you know, what your inspiration was for writing this book? And at the time, I assume you were writing it while you were a big time executive at. Yeah. Yeah. So it was never my intention to write a book. It was, you know, at all. Um, I had grown up in a house where things came to die. It was like all the pets, all the plants. It was just, it was not under a mystery hex. My parents were just super neglectful. And looking back, I don't even blame them. They just did not know how to take care of children or much of anything, including themselves. And so this childhood of psychological abuse and uh, deep neglect obviously had an impact. Um, I was this anxious, depressed mess that you could find like openly weeping next to you on the subway in Manhattan. Or like, you know, when you see those girls who are just kind of like on a stoop crying, you know, with like tons of bad. Yeah, exactly. So that was me for a very long time. Um, And I really, the, the message I had taken from my childhood was that I was worthless. So I always looked for external validation. You know, I went to an Ivy League college. I got my first job ever was being an intern at The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Then from there, I made it to Comedy Central proper. And on the outside, I was like quickly climbing the corporate ladder. I looked like I had everything together, but I was imploding. I was good at work, but bad at life. And it might have kept going that way. Cause I was really good at lying. Like, yeah, I've got it all together. Everything's really good. Look at me. Um, except on my 25th birthday, I drunk dialed my therapist and threatened to hurt myself. And she, who was like one of the more calm people I knew who in every session just had like a cup of tea and a little kerchief around her neck. She was so alarmed and her messages were so not her as she tried to find me that night that I got really scared for my own life. And I realized if I don't save me, no one else's. So whether I'm to blame for anything or not, this is now my responsibility. 
And I decided I would become my own parent. I would quote unquote reparent myself, which was not a term 10 years ago. And I just started this Google doc because I was like a really good student, really good at work. What do you use? Google docs. Started a Google doc of every question I had about how to heal myself. Like what are values? What are principles? What are vegetables? Like genuinely, what are they? Still don't know. I feel like the gram is telling me something new every single day. Um, And I just attacked it. I, for five years, I took my own healing as the most important thing in my life. I, for like, I, all my money went to therapy, like not to girls trips, not to the bachelorettes, like therapy, I need to heal. And at the end of five years, I felt like a completely different person. You know, I had never tasted mental stability before. I had thought my emotions would always be in a slingshot. And once I was like stable with moments of contentment, I realized, wow, I bet there are other people like me. I could have really used uh, just a, a guidebook or like a friend or someone to help me through this. And so I had all these notes, you know, this 600 page Google doc that I had compiled over those five years. And that was the basis of buy yourself the fucking lilies. So it wasn't as if I went out to be like, I want to write a memoir and a self-help book. It was, I was just trying to save my life. And then I realized I had something to give to other people. And so, yeah, I wrote it at, while I was at Comedy Central, it took like maybe two and a half years every morning before work, every weekend, every night, just jamming on it. Uh, Cause I thought it was urgent. I just, I knew other people were in pain and, and I wanted to give them the first book. Wow. I really, really love that story. Um, and I think so many people can relate, especially, I mean, it's not really necessarily a certain age range, but I think a lot of 20, you were 25 at the time. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think at any age, you can probably find people who are struggling with the facade of what's going on on the outside versus what's actually going on on the inside. Yes. Um, And to really say like, I have to get ahead of this. I have to get in front of this and I need to find my way because what's happening is not working is, is really hugely powerful. And I agree is wildly important to kind of share the blueprint of how you figured out to, you know, get your, yourself out of that headspace. Yeah. And one thing that I really find is the people who read my book, there is no age range. There is no race. There is no anything. There's no socioeconomic class because we all suffer. Every last one of us suffers. And you know what I write a lot in my new book, Glow in the Fucking Dark, is I absolutely reject the idea that time heals all wounds. Time gives them wrinkles, but you could be 79 and still have all these issues if you haven't dealt with them. Your past becomes your present until you heal what needs to be healed. So it's been really interesting, just the range of people who have talked to me about the book. It it really was like shocking. I was like, oh, so everybody has these problems. Everybody's hurting. And until they deal with it, it deals with them. Wow. I love that line. It your past becomes your present until you heal what you need to heal. Yeah. That's what I, I was mean, hung up on. I was like, wow, that was a mic drop moment right there. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is, it is, it is. Um, and so, you know, does it take, 
this rock bottom moment for everyone to, you know, you're on your 25th birthday, you know, texting your therapist and and saying you're thinking about hurting yourself. Does it take this rock bottom moment for, for people to finally figure out that they need to heal? Or can we wake up in the middle of it and say, like, let me fix this before my yeah. rock bottom moment? Oh, I pray to God that no one has to go through the rock bottom moment. I mean, I did it like, let, let me do have done that. You know, I really reject the idea that you have to suffer in order to quote unquote, fix yourself or heal yourself. You know, it's like the uh, myth of the artist that has to be like struggling and poor, and they have to do everything for their art in order for anything to matter. And it's like, hell no. Like if you just sense there are some holes, there are some issues oh, huh, I'm stuck in a pattern. I've been dating the same person over and over again to the same results. Huh, I wonder, just self-awareness, just any self-awareness um, is key. And unfortunately for me, I had none. I was just so drowning in how much I hated myself. And I cannot overemphasize how absolutely miserable I was, you know, walking in Union Square, I would have like one hand um, over my heart, needing this anxiety knot as a diss track of you are ugly, you're unworthy, you don't have a future, you're too late to do anything. Like it was, it was constant. And looking back, it's like wild to me that that's the state I lived in. And so I hope that by writing my story, which is a little more extreme, that people see shades of themselves in that and that you don't have to have had a neglectful childhood. You don't have to have hit rock bottom for, for these kind of lessons and stories to resonate. Yeah. And would you say now that it's even more challenging for people because it, it, it it's constant with the age yeah. of social media where it's like everyone yeah. this person's publicly celebrating their promotion and this person's publicly celebrating their engagement and this person's publicly celebrating that they're pregnant and they're, and, yeah. and, and you want to do that and you want to celebrate yeah. people and be happy for those people. But at the same time, every time it just chips away sometimes a little bit at where we are in our lives and what we get to celebrate and how often we get to celebrate, you know, these milestones. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think, I, I kind of waver between are things the worst they've ever been or do we just, are we just more aware now of all the systemic problems in this world? And I, I think because we see them and because it does seem like things like the climate disaster, for example, like that's inescapable and bad. And if you're frightened and anxious, of course, like it would be very weird to look at the world today and feel chill about it. And so one of the big things I try to talk about is it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to feel anxious. What's not okay is to ignore it, deny it, say I shouldn't feel that way, push it away, reject it because rejecting your feelings is what drives you batty. You know, it's often with anxiety, for example, which I write about in my next book, uh, Glow in the Fucking Dark. I always thought I was just an anxious person. Like I'd say that like, I'm just an anxious person. You know, I have a slightly different take on anxiety after having done a lot of work around it, which is, I, I'll uh, tell a little story that illustrates it. I had this boyfriend and he was very attractive and very suave. And he was sort of like the great Gatsby IRL, like always throwing a lavish party and like sort of talking with a transatlantic ac accent, you know, like 
just grand. And he was obsessed with me. He was like always telling me, oh, you're the, you're the most beautiful girl I've ever met. Brown eyes, we're going to get married. And kind of pressuring me into having kids really quickly. And at first I was really taken with it because I was obsessed with his obsession with me. Like if I'm just totally honest and I, I loved the flattery having had none as a kid, but he also told a lot of half truths, a lot of things that like, at first it just started with, you know, I own my house and I find out he rents it like, li like little stuff where first you're like, yeah, okay. But then, you know, he told me he was a part of this like legendary magnate American family, very like Taylor Swift, uh, you know, vibes. And I, I, I started to wonder because he started borrowing money from me. And I was like, what kind of multimillionaire is borrowing $1,200 to get his car towed from a not multimillionaire like me. And I, at the same time, I just happened to go to a psychiatrist for other reasons. I was like, you know what? My anxiety is out of control. Like I really need help. And when I got there and I was explaining to her, you know, I've done so much healing on my own. I really have very little to be anxious about. I'm totally fine. My life is fine. And then I explained the story of my boyfriend. She said, I don't think you're anxious. I think you're furious. And I was like, mind blown. Oh my God, you're right. I am so angry at being lied to and this pressure to have kids and just this like weird trap that I've found myself in and that he denies any time that he lies. And what I came to realize is that sometimes anxiety is a blanket that just pushes down all the things we either don't want to feel or can't feel. And I have a really hard time with anger you know, it's the hallmark of depression is basically you can't feel angry. You, you take it out on yourself. And once she said that, I was like, whoa, when I feel anxious, the first thing I should do is dig and ask myself, am I actually anxious or am I disappointed? Am I enraged? Am I furious? Am I despondent? Like, what am I? Because I think we've lost the vocabulary to talk about our feelings. Like, I don't know if this resonates, but with most of my friends, when I ask them, how are you? The only answers I get are good, bad, sad, busy. That's like the only words yeah. to des describe all of humanity. And so one thing I'm really encouraging people to do is to dig deeper. In my next book, I actually, I created an emotion wheel where you can actually, you know, you could start at anxiety and then dig down and see like, oh, is there something else at the root of it? Um, because I also feel like anxiety is the scarlet le letter of women today. Like the, the new hysteria, like you could just slap it on a woman. Oh, she's hysterical. Oh, she's just anxious. And then you can dismiss every legitimate fear that she has. And so, you know, real anxiety obviously exists. I'm not saying it doesn't. And I'm really asking all of us to question ourselves and see, is that it? Or are you legitimately being mistreated? Are you anxious or has something really bad happened and you're actually having like a very legitimate response to it? Um, so that's a lot of this book is just questioning. We assume these things. I'm depressed. It's a diagnosis. I'm always going to have it. I'm anxious. It's my self-diagnosis. I'm always going to have it. But I'm just questioning like, cool, maybe for sure, maybe. But have you asked yourself about it? Like, have you dug a little deeper? Um, 
So I, I hope that's what people will do with me in the second book is just dig a little deeper. Yeah, I love that you're prompting people to do that. I feel like that's kind of a major journey that I'm on literally right now. Wow. Um, because I would say that I have been saying that for the better part of my adult life. I'm just really anxious. I'm so anxious. I'm so anxious. It's like something that comes out of my mouth like 15, 20 times a week, like I would say. like, And that sounds absurd, but like true. <laughs> no, like, I, I totally know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, if I ever take the time to just work backwards and find the root cause of why I am anxious, you know, I, I understand kind of where my feelings are coming from. And when you understand where they come from, then you can work towards healing them, but it's yes. needing to understand and being willing to have those kind of conversations with yourself and, and opening up that conversation with yourself. Um, I think yes. another big one, I feel like I have been recently experiencing is, and maybe I'm late to the game. Um, gaslighting for me mm, has been mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really huge, a huge cause of my anxiety and being able to recognize and pinpoint when I'm being gaslit by a superior at work, when I'm being yeah. gaslit by other women who are not being supportive and then yeah. telling turning the finger backwards on me saying that I'm not being supportive because there's been like a recent situation that it came up where that was happening. And then I immediately went into this place where I was just like, Oh my God, I must've misunderstood. I didn't see something correctly. Like I would never handle any situation like this. I can't believe that I missed this. Like I'm so wrong. You an apology. Like I, this, I, that I, 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 I'm wrong. Like, and then pausing not responding yeah. in the moment and taking a second to really die, like go backwards and really see what this person is saying to me, either at work or friendships or whatever it is. And being like, okay, wait a second here. Like, yeah, totally is gaslighting. That's causing me to feel anxious. Yeah. And I think taking that pause, I think, I think women, we I'll speak a big generality here, blame ourselves first. It's way easier to be like, I must have done something. I've I'm dating or seeing somebody and I'm like, he hasn't texted me in a couple of days. And I'm like, what did I do wrong? What did I say wrong on the FaceTime? What did I, what did I, what did I? And a lot of times it's like genuinely, truly not personal, has nothing to do with you, and is in fact a complete reflection of the other person. And the term gaslighting, you know, I've seen some people on Instagram say, like, we're overusing therapy talk, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this is not a new term. Gas, I believe it's like from the 19th century. And it was used to describe women who were lied to and put in asylums and who were completely dismissed and told their, like, told that reality was a different thing than what it was. It's like a very historic, culturally embedded tactic to manipulate people. I mean, that's what it is. And I think I have a really big reaction to when people say things like, well, not everything is trauma. Not everything's this. Like, yeah, of course, but there are some of us who are just waking up. So like, let us have some of this vocabulary for like five minutes before you get over it, you know? Um, so I'm really excited actually that people are starting to dig a little deeper and to wake up a little too. Oh, maybe, maybe this isn't all my fault. <laughs> like maybe there's a little more room here and maybe, maybe something else is going on. Yeah. I love that. And that's, it's spot on to 
exactly where I'm at right now in my own personal journey. So I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. And, you know, it's, it is always true that what's personal is typically universal. So absolutely. I'm sure that there are so many people who really will need um, this book and it will come, you know, at the right time in their lives to, to, to figure out, you know, a path forward for healing. I hope so. That's the yeah. only aim. It's like, if you're going to be this revealing about yourself, it's got to be about more than selling books. Like if you're going to be like, this is truly raw, my worst moments, and I'm putting them out to make meaning of them. That's like wise. If, if, if I just hold them forever, even if I heal them, that still sucks. But if I can turn them into something that's helpful for somebody else, then I feel like, oh, it, maybe it wasn't worth it, but it's a lot better. It's a lot better to make meaning of things. 100%. I feel like when we don't have the meaning, that's when we go yeah. trying yeah. To, to get there to that place. Yeah. Um, what has it been like for, you know, have you healed or did you even feel like you need to, but the relationship with your parents um, through having to reparent yourself and then, you know, find your way and now through healing? Yeah. It's a very interesting, I get, I get this question a lot and it's, uh, it's not what I think people think the answer will be. So, um, after by yourself, the fucking lilies, I was in a pretty good place with my dad. I hadn't talked to my mom in something like 15 years. Um, because I think she has, she really did not treat me well at a pretty extreme level. And I needed that boundary for my own safety and security. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I realized, so this next book, Glow in the Fucking Dark, begins. So gone through everything in Lilies. I'm on this stable ground. I'm on my good enough plateau, the good enough job at Comedy Central. Like, doesn't it it's like amazing? And I get to hang out with, you know, Key and Peel and David Spade. It's awesome. But there was something like a little wrong about it that made me anxious. And I had all these friends and it was good enough, but none of them were on like any kind of spiritual journey. And the pandemic strikes, Comedy Central lays off all of us, which was a huge problem because Comedy Central was my identity. When people would introduce me, it would be Tara Schuster, Comedy Central, like it was my married last name. You know, I'd work there fully a third of my life. So everything I'd had this such a shitty start at life that I basically use the job not to feel like a weirdo, to have status, to say, it's almost like a magic trick. Like, look at me, I made it. Everything's great. Isn't, don't you, aren't you impressed by this? But don't look over here at this quarter century of complex trauma. You know, I was definitely <laughs> diverting attention. And at the very beginning of COVID, my dad, who had always had a complicated relationship with, was being very much my dad, which means not protective, not asking my sister and I, are you okay? Do you have masks? What, you know, like completely about him, completely about taking care of him. And I just decided if I'm really going to do real healing and get off this good enough plateau, which I had a feeling it was time to do, I can't talk to him because he's takes up too much of my brain space. I've spent enough of my life taking care of him. I've got to take care of me. And I stopped talking to him. So, you know, in this global pandemic where families are coming together, I'm just like, now I'm not talking to my mom or my dad. And he ended up getting COVID like two years later. And 
I was like, oh my God, well, I'm going to go help him. Obviously, I'm not going to not talk to my dad when he has COVID. And the most shocking thing ever happens when I went to help him, I found out that he had been in therapy for the entire preceding two years to answer the question, why is my daughter not talking to me? And he was like a completely different person, okay. you know, well, it, you know, he had never, it, he had never, when I was growing up, never told me he was proud of me, only told me that there was financial doom and ruin right around the corner, never thanked me for anything. This new dad who I started calling dad too, told me for the first time ever, he was proud of me and thought that I was doing a good job, you know, and, and for one shining second, I had a feeling of what it would be like to have supportive parents, how, how confident that must make you feel and, and how steady and, uh, how, how much more risk and how much more bold you could be. And while it was sad that I had never had that before, I was so grateful that for this amount of time, whatever it is, my dad's 78, you know, what for whatever remaining time I have with my dad, he is a dad. And, and well, I'm not saying if you draw a boundary, the other person is going to change like at all. I know that's rarely the case. And if you don't draw a boundary, there's no possible way for it to change because the person has no reason to change. If you're just going to be a doormat and accept the past always, then why, why would they change? And so it's interesting. I think that writing the first book was the first time I was ever honest about my experience growing up. And it forced my dad to see what I had been through. And I think that laid the groundwork for everything else that he was forced to see like, wow, <laughs> that was difficult. And that even in his own therapy, he had a kind of guidepost of like what my issues were, why I was upset. And so it's really been a surprising evolution to me that I, that I would write this book, that I'd be so honest about these really dark things and that I'd end up with a better relationship with my dad because of it. And with my mom, it gave me like getting it all out there and realizing I wasn't the only person with a messed up relationship with their mom really fueled my ability to forgive her and to feel compassion for, wow, if that's how she treated me, what was going on inside her head? Like, oh, wow. yeah, yeah that could not have, uh, that could not have been a picnic, you know, like what she was going through. Yeah. And so I'm even open to potentially reaching out to her now um, because I have compassion for like, wow, how much she suffered, how much she suffered when she hurt me. So I've come to a lot more peace through the, the process of writing these two books. Um, and I've also come to realize there are so many of us with complicated relationships with our parents. We think we're alone. We think we're weirdos. We think nobody is going to understand. And then you, I open my DMs and it's like every single person. So I feel a lot less alone because of it. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's important to feel less alone in whatever we're going through. Um, because, you know, it's, it's all the whole story and journey of life is healing and uncovering and getting to the bottom of what, you know, we're experiencing. Are you still seeing the same therapist that you were seeing at 25? Uh, not at 25, but I got a new therapist at 30 and she is my everything. It's like, 
I'd never had, you know, I've heard of people say like, oh, my therapist changed my life. And I hadn't had that until I met this therapist who I'm just like, whoa, you are a sage. You are so wise. I just started therapy. I had my second session yesterday. Ooh, congratulations. Thank you. It's such, honestly, the best feeling to put yourself, you know, first in that way. And, and I think so often a part of our healing journey is like you, I think you kind of touched on it a little bit in the beginning of this, this episode, which is, you know, recognizing patterns in our lives. And when you keep seeing the same things show up over and over and over again, the things that cause you to be furious or anxious or whatever the, the feeling is that's attached to it. It's like at a certain point, you have to stop and ask yourself, okay, well, how much of this is because of me, like what, I can't just be constantly angry and upset and furious about the actions of people around me and, and never, you know, turn the finger in inward and say like, okay, well, like, how am I contributing to what's showing up around me and what can I do differently so that I stop having the same, you know, scenarios over and over again. Totally. You know, the, one of the things that I hope people take away from glow in the fucking dark is you might not have all the power over like what happened to you, right? You're young, whatever you've been through trauma. You didn't have the power. You are not to blame for those situations and you must take responsibility because now it's true. Like now this is your life. And, um, the scholar Gabor Mate, sort of like the father of trauma, if you've read his work at all, um, what he often talks about is the trauma is not the thing that happened to you. It's what it made you believe about yourself. It's Always. what you then did to strategize, to cope. And so, you know, the worst things you've ever been through, you've already been through them. Congratulations, you survived. And now it's time to take a look at, well, how did that affect you though? How did that affect you? What patterns are you living in that you can't seem to change? And my biggest takeaway is you can change anything. With enough work, I have changed so many of my reactions because that's where I find my power. Can't change what happened to me, certainly can change how I react to it, what it makes me believe about myself. And it wasn't magic. You know, it wasn't like divinely prophesized. It was like, I sat down and I did the work. I like tried a bunch of different stuff. I stopped being so defensive. And like, like you said, uh, especially with men, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I am the common denominator in all these relationships. Huh? Better investigate that. Um, And so I feel a great power in owning owning all of it. Yeah, this is all true. And I have some power to change it if I want. That's a big thing. Do you actually want to change it? Yeah. And, you know, it's like that quote of like, you have to do something different if you want something different. Uh, Yeah. And I think also, I swear that the universe is like, when you're on your path to healing, I swear the universe will just drop little things along the way to be like, Oh yeah. Are you going to take the bait? Like, are you you actually trying to change? Because they'll dangle something right in front of you. It's like something that your former self, I think would always like take the bait on. Um, 
in terms of yes. dating, or in terms of like getting angry, let's say, or, you know, allowing your emotional brain to take over your logical brain, which is really where, who I am. That's always me leaning way more into my emotional brain and reacting before kind of getting all of the pieces to the puzzle and, and yeah. then like formula, formulating my opinions around things and reacting as such. Um, but yeah, we, we have these, like, they, the universe will dangle things in front of you to say, are you ready to heal? Totally. Or are you just pretending that you're ready? I know it's I like, I'm a very cynical person. So in both these books, I'm trying like things that at first sound disgusting to me, like journaling, gratitude practice. I'm like, there's no way this works. Like, what do I even have to be grateful for? Would you be grateful if you grew up in a house where things came to die? Like F this, I don't want to do this. That's basically always where I start from. And then once you try some of these things and you start having a little faith in them because they start working, it's so cheesy. And I would never be someone who's like, the universe provides, except it kind of does. <laughs> like, except it like, you know, and I'm like very like hesitant to ever be like, I'm manifesting X, Y, Z. Like, I don't love that language because I'm cynical, if I'm honest. I always and... say it when I'm being kind of like, Silly. I always yeah, say, like, right? Like, oh, I'm gonna manifest that. Like LOL. Totally. Yeah. And it's true. Like literally this week, I wanted I had to have a complicated conversation with somebody who I really, really respect. And I kept putting it off. And it was Monday afternoon and I was supposed to call her and tell her something I thought she was not gonna like. And I chickened out and I was like, ah, oh, I can't deal with this. That night, I'm in Century City, a mall in Los Angeles that I never go to. I am late to meet my best friend for dinner. And who walks directly in my path but this woman? And I'm just like, this is real. Like, I, if this isn't a sign that like the, the universe is guiding me in some kind of way, and it was much better because I was afraid to talk to her on the phone. I didn't want to talk about it in text so the divine universe was just like, well, here she is literally in your path drop. <laughs> like, if, yeah. if that stuff didn't happen, I wouldn't believe, but it actually does happen. Right. We're going to like, you're ready to have this difficult conversation. You are. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, and you better have it. It's like it's plaguing you. It's the right thing to do. Here she is. Wow. Epic. I love that. Yeah. So. People should pick up the new book. February 28th is when Glow in the Fucking Dark comes out. And if you are someone who is at all on a healing journey, this book is for you, which means that's all of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it's a friend and I hope it makes people laugh because this stuff is so grim that the only way I've found to like make it through is to laugh about it and have some levity about it. Cause otherwise it's like, damn, this is too hard to do. Yeah. I don't want to swim through this ocean. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, okay. So the last question I'll ask you today is what is the best piece of advice that you would give your younger self? Mm, it's tied. Can I give two, which was not yes. the prompt. Okay. Give two. One is you're great. Like you're just good. It's not advice. It's just, you have a good soul. You don't need to worry so much about anything. Like you're worthy. You're a good soul. And so that would just sit with that kid. And the second thing would be to take yourself seriously that, you know, whatever dreams you have, whatever healing you want, whatever 
impact you want to have on this world, you're allowed to, and you deserve to, and take the steps necessary and recognize that you are so worthy and so worth taking seriously. I think those two are pretty like potent combination for self-worth. I feel like you're just talking to me as well. And anyway. <laughs> well, I'm okay. happy to. I love that. Like, yeah, I'm like, damn, thank you. I needed that. <laughs> um, okay. Well, you are so awesome. I thank you so much for being on. Um, you guys definitely go pick out, pick up her new book that comes out February, February 28th and also the former book if you have not yet read that one. So uh, thank you so much, Tara. I appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right. That is it for today's episode. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I cannot wait to go pick up her book as soon as it comes out at the end of February. Um, yeah, just really, really excited. Uh, I think that there's honestly always so much that we can stand to heal from, to grow from, to transform from. And sometimes we think, we're just moving along in life and things are good and everything is the status quo and it's fine and it's good. But I don't think we often stop to ask ourselves like, you know, what haven't we healed from? And maybe, you know, if we do take our healing and make it a priority, we can take things from good to great. Uh, and so, as I mentioned, uh, I have just started going back to therapy myself. So I'm kind of in the process of, you know, figuring that out. Uh, and going through that journey, which I'm sure I'll share lots of that with you guys along the way. Um, but yeah, just really, you know, constantly asking ourselves that question of how can we make life better and what's working, what's no longer working. And like I said, what can we do better? So that's a wrap for today's episode. Make sure you follow Tara on Instagram at Tara Schuster. Follow me at Victoria Brown. Follow the pod handle at Very Best Self. Go ahead and subscribe, leave us a five-star review. And uh, if you got the time, we would love a handwritten review on how much you love the pod. And that's a wrap for today. So I'll see you guys next week on Tuesday. Bye.